what's up everybody? This is uh, Brandon Thomas. I'm with writer Brandon Easton and this is another installment of The Two Brandons. And uh, on this installment, something we're, we're really excited about, uh, we're going to talk about comics. We're going to talk about the, the comics that, that we're really enjoying now in the industry. We're going to talk about our criteria for purchasing comics, what drives us to certain titles, uh, and on the other hand, drives us away from certain others. And uh, also, we're going to talk about if we have different criteria of in independent versus mainstream comics. Mm, so, yeah. uh, which <laughs> the, the for me, the answer is yes, but we'll get to that soon. But uh, j just to start off, I, I just want to start off with here's just a, a handful of titles. I'm, I'm not going to put things in order, but here's a, a handful of titles that that I'm really enjoying. The first first off, when I read when I read my comic books, I do it in a very specific way. Um, the comics that I'm most excited to read go at the bottom of my stack. And I basically kind of, you mm. know, work work up an appetite for those titles that are at the bottom. Uh, there are also little uh, OCD things I do. Like I, I try to alternate solo and team books because I find that team books have um, a lot more text in them than solo books do. So uh, just just little kind of uh, nerdy, obsessive things I do with with my comics. So when, you know, this list of comics that I'm about to just rattle off now, these are comics that always end up at the bottom of my stack. Like these are the comics that I'm always saving to last to read, you know, after I've read everything else. Right. And uh, I got titles like uh, Star Wars: Agent of the Empire from Dark Horse Comics. I think that is a it, it, it's it's an amazing comic set in the Star Wars universe. It's basically James Bond meets Star Wars, and I think it's wow. it's I think it's a lot of fun. It's been really cool. They've put out a two separate miniseries so far. It basically comes out as a series of minis. So hopefully that's something that uh, we'll we'll see far into the future. Uh, Batman Inc. Um, I, I love that book. I, I know a lot of people have have kind of uh, pledged their allegiance to the snot, uh, Scott Snyder, uh, Greg Capullo, Batman, and I do enjoy that book. But they're uh, for me, Batman Incorporated. I just I love Grant Morrison's version. I love his take uh, on Batman. So that's a title I always enjoy. Uh, Chew from Image Comics is another book that I adore. Uh, I'm pretty close with the with the creator of that book, John Layman, and I and I kind of I, I feel like I have a, <laughs> a a slightly inside track on on what it took for him to get that book made and out. And anytime I see Chew, it basically you know I've told him this before, and he kind of you know gets all all bashful about it, but it it, it gives me hope. For my um, for my future in comics, whenever I see Chu, because I know exactly what he had to go through to get that book out, and the fact that it's right. a, that it's a huge hit right now is just uh, it's great. It's great to see. I love seeing it. It's another one of my favorite titles, always in the bottom of the stack. Manhattan Projects, Jonathan Hickman. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I, I don't know if anyone's really noticed, but there's been a, a huge influx of kind of science-based comics where we had the zombie craze a few years ago, and now everything is about, you know, science is cool and science is dangerous, and Manhattan Projects is a, is a title that definitely plays into that. Uh, another image book I really love, Saga, Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples. I think it's, a, it's an amazing uh, space opera classic Brian K. Vaughn material. So if you like Why the Last Man, Runaways, uh, you'll definitely love Saga. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Marvel Comics, I'm liking Daredevil for Mark Wade. Uh, I think it's a it's a very classic superhero comic. I think as as a writer, there there's a lot that I get from Daredevil uh, because Mark Wade has been doing this a very long time and every issue of Daredevil is basically a clinic on how to write successful, engaging superhero comics. Uh, two more for Marvel, both written by uh, writer Matt Fraction, who I love quite a bit. A Hawkeye, mm. I think is I think it's amazing, and we'll we'll talk about why when we start getting in 
the end of the criteria for books. But uh, Hawkeye and also his FF book with Mike Allred, I think is great fun. Um, I'm really liking Harbinger from Valiant. It's another writer, Josh Dysart, that I'm mm. very, very fond of. And uh, I really, you know, I really love that book and, and a lot of these books because these books have have something to say. And there's a very kind of singular creative vision that you can you can see on these books. And, um, you know, it just it, it makes it a, a, a lot of fun to read and a, and, a, and a lot of fun to keep up with. Uh, almost forgot one. I'm sorry. Going back to Dark Horse. Mind Management by Matt Kent. He does the, the story uh, and the artwork. I think it's a it's a phenomenal book. I mean, the artwork, it's uh, it's very um, it's, it's, it's not your standard mainstream superhero uh, fair, but I think that it perfectly fits the story. And he does this this cool thing where it's not just the standard comic story you're reading. There are all of these notes that are written into the margins of every single page that give you kind of additional information about what it is you're reading. And it's just uh, it's it's a great book. But that's without going on too long because I can go on all day because I spend like you know, $150 on comics every month. But, uh, those are are some of my favorites. Those are the things that are, that are in the bottom of my stack, uh, you know, whenever they come out. So to me, that's, that's the upper echelon. Those are the books that, that I'm, you know, uh, uh, fighting desperately to, to, to hit when I sit down and I write comic scripts. So those are the types of things I, I have in my head. That's the, the upper echelon, at least for, you know, at least for monthly comics for me. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because I also, I mean, I think a lot of people have a way that they arrange their comics. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I go to the store, I usually try to grab the things that are at the front of my head. Now, because of my schedule and way I get around, the ways that I get around Los Angeles, I don't really get to the comic book store as much as I would prefer. So I usually get a, a, like a ton of books every, I'd say, four to six weeks. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm always, always playing catch up. Mm-hmm. But you know, right now, there's a lot of stuff that I really like across all the companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Superman, the one that's done by, believe it or not, by Scott Lobdell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really enjoying the uh, the X-Men book, the one where um, they went back to the past, where Beast goes back to the past. Oh, all stuff. new X-Men. I'm liking yeah. that, too. Yeah, that, it really blew my mind. I wasn't expecting that to be as good as it is. Uh, I really got into a lot of the Valiant books, like Exo Man of War mm-hmm. and Harbinger, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, th- that, those two books are amazing. Archer and Armstrong, also from Valiant. Is the, I mean, the whole Valiant universe is extremely well done, yeah. and I, I want to give remarkable amounts of credit to the, editor, the editorial staff of Valiant as well as the owners of Valiant. Those guys went out and you know, uh, bid against many other people to get control of the Valiant properties and own it, and they did. And they're putting out probably some of the best-produced genre comic books because I wouldn't say Valiant is superhero books. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Valiant is very much fantasy or science fantasy along the lines of what Star Wars actually is. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's scientifically based, but there's also some really cool magic and other you know kind of stuff going on. Just really amazing work being done by Valiant. And, and I strongly recommend... If anybody out there has an issue with Marvel and DC but still want a good, solid, adult-themed fix, not so much sex or violence, but just in terms of creative content, yes. I would strongly recommend picking up any book from the Valiant Universe right now. Yep. It is just astonishing work. Um, I'm really liking the IDW Transformers books. They have two books, one called Robots in Disguise, and the other one is called More Than Meets the Eye. Which is fantastic. And Oh, my God. Like, Robots in Disguise, to me, is a little bit better because it deals with the politics of Cybertron itself mm-hmm. post the Great War. And more than meets the eyes dealing with a doomed uh, expedition that Rodimus Prime, Oronimus, takes out into space looking for this lost group of Cybertronians. Um, they are both internally consistent. They are both very smartly written. It is so much better than any Transformers comic book that I've ever read in my life. And I've been a Transformers fan since the first day I ever laid eyes on them, back in 1984. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I'm saying this, and to those who know me personally knows that 
anything I say about Transformers is usually as close to being true as possible. You know, <laughs> so when I say that these are the best Transformers comics produced right now, you could take that to the bank. IDW, the writer, I mean, I'm not really good with names because it, there's so many books right now, mm-hmm. but I believe a guy by the name of um, John Barber writes the Robots in Disguise book. I'm not sure who writes The Morning Meets the Eye. Uh, James Roberts, I believe. Yeah, there you go. Yep, there you go. Yep. Yeah, you're good at this, man. I, yeah, yeah, it. I know. I know. Uh, Even if I'm not buying the book, I know who's on it. <laughs> there you go. And I'm going to tell you, man, I, I, I'm really, I mean, every issue I'm actually looking forward to. And I don't say that very often because, you know, I've been turned off by a lot of things, which we'll get into soon. Um, the, new tra- uh, the new Star Wars book by uh, Brian yes, Wood. Yes, by Brian Wood is, is very good. Very is good. extraordinary. And speaking of Brian Wood, I mean, he did one of my favorite books of all time, which was DMZ, which was a, uh, you know, a story about what would happen if Manhattan was the last line in a second American civil war. Mm-hmm. And what happens when it is cut off from the rest of the world? What is the socio political fallout of that type of situation. And the fact that Brian Wood came up with a scenario like that and then was able to create a universe within that world is extraordinary. It's astonishing stuff. And he, he, gave, he got a fan for life out of me for doing DMZ. And when I heard he was doing a Star Wars book, I was really blown away by that because I was like, I wonder what he's going to do. And basically, without spoiling anything, if you can imagine princess leia as an assassin this is kind of like where you he- it looks like that's where he's headed with this you know so the new star wars book by dark horse it's probably going to be the last chunk of new star wars material because dark horse will lose the rights to the star wars license and it's going to switch back over to disney soon mm-hmm. so i'm trying to enjoy that's, that's where that's word on the street and it's that's it's, what I've it's been hearing. too bad it's too bad because the books that they're doing are are really really good Right now, and I mean, I, I would I would encourage you to check out Agent Agent of the Empire. It's yeah, uh, I, I will check it out. It's it's yeah, it's great. It is great. Well, the, so I'm just saying that with the, you know with that being said, you know I, I really want folks who are Star Wars fans to realize that there's a certain type of editorial freedom to a small extent that Dark Horse was given to expand the Star Wars universe. Whereas I don't know what's going to happen when it switches back to the uh, to, not DC, to Marvel or really to Disney. Mm-hmm. So uh, since Disney owns Marvels, it'll probably be a Marvel imprint. So right. who knows? But I'm really enjoying that. Another book that I picked up is Luther Strode oh. by Justin Jordan and Trad Moore. Mm-hmm. And Luther Strode is sort of like kick-ass, but taken to an even further hyper-realistic, hyper-violent situation it's very similar to kick-ass in that the character is almost well kick-ass is not indestructible but luther strode is practically indestructible not completely and it's a story about what happens when this kid is given these powers and what happens to his personal life like what would really happen if you were almost indestructible it is really a fun violent read i mean it's, it's no way to look at that and be Hey, you know, not having an opinion on it. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna kick you in the in the stomach. No, it's it's a it's a good book. It's a good book, and and Justin Jordan is uh you know he is he's taking off right now. I mean, like you, he's writing Shadow Man for Valiant. I think he's yeah. gonna, he's gonna write Superboy for DC, and I believe one of the Green Lantern books. I can't remember off the top of my head. Possibly New Guardians. So right, uh, right. he's he's a, he's a new he is a writer that that is definitely on the rise. So uh, Luther Strode was the first I think not the first thing he did, but the, one of the first major things he did, and it's a it's a nice book. Yeah, and well, yeah, I mean, I, I strongly recommend that as well. Then if you jump over to Image, uh, there was a series I really got into. It's a science fiction series called Planetoid, and it came out I believe last summer. I don't. I haven't seen any issues of it sitting around now, so I don't know if it got canceled or not. I'm not sure. It was a digital. I believe it was a digital series first. It was a uh, like an exclusively digital series that was either picked up by Image or the creator pitched it to Image and they put it out um, as a, a couple of comics. But you're right. I haven't seen. I haven't heard heard from it in a while now, so I don't know if a couple issues came out and the creator got behind or if they're just going right. to stop putting them out. But I remember seeing that book. Yeah. It was by a guy named Ken Gehring. Mm-hmm. And 
Planetoid was just a really cool read. It was a guy who crash lands on this planet with an incredibly strong magnetic field. And it's basically a trap for space travelers. And that's a very basic concept. I don't want to get too much into it, but it is such a great read. I'm someone who really enjoys science fiction comics. And I tell you, there just aren't that many of them. Because mm-hmm. everything kind of skews towards superheroes in the comic book world. And if not superheroes, then it's usually crime-based. So I like a good space adventure when you can get one. And Planetoid is excellent. Um, I'll back you up with Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Saga is absolutely brilliant. It is very imaginative. It is also a space opera, but it's very, very small. It's very contained. Mm-hmm. It's about um, you know two warring races, two people, two members of two warring races who have a child together. Really great concept. A uh, lot of fun to read. There was another book by Image called Danger Club. Which oh, came out, I, I, um, I love Danger Club too. That's a great it, book. It's sort of like if you crossed Legion of Superheroes with The Authority right. or, or Watchmen, really. It's more like Watchmen. It's very dark. It's teenage superheroes, but it is extremely dark. It's by uh, Landry Walker and Eric Jones. Mm-hmm. I met them at Comic-Con um, I met them at Comic-Con last year, and we had a very long conversation. They're really great guys, and I strongly recommend that. And I think that you know, other than the big stuff, which, you know, don't, doesn't need really anybody hyping it, that's pretty much my diet right now mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of, like, the, the stuff I really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Good, good. Well, um, keeping, keeping it on, you know, keeping on that focus, what, talk about some of the things that, that drive you to certain titles. Like, what things are, are you looking for? When when you hear about a, a new book on Newsarama or CBR or whatever, yeah. what lets you know even before sometimes even before you even lay eyes on the book that that's going to be something you're interested in when it comes out in two or three months? Well, that is an excellent question. Um, wow. Well, the way I look at it is, I mean, obviously the artwork has to have some kind of ping to it, you know. I'm really tired of a lot of mainstream and independent books trying to get by with substandard artwork. That really bothers me. Uh, if, you, if the story sounds incredible, I'm willing to give the artwork a pass, but the story really has to sound amazing. Like, I'm not going to call out books with, that I believe have bad art but great story, mm-hmm. but there are some books that I read which the art isn't that great, but I come back because I'm really interested in seeing what happens with the characters. Yeah. So... I would say in a very first, most superficial way, if the art is solid, I'm going to take a look at it, to be mm-hmm. absolutely honest. If I read the, the log line and the log line sounds excellent and I trust the creator based on previous work, then I'm going to usually buy the first couple of issues. That's just the way I do it. Mm-hmm. Then I tend to look at independent books. Like I'm trying to figure out half the time what's going to be worth you know, spending money on because, you know, I have a very finite budget for new material. And just like comic book retailers, I can't always afford to take a chance on things I haven't heard of. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if, if I'm in a store, I'm more likely to give a book a chance that I can get a look at it. I can feel it. I can go through the pages than I would just from Newsarama or comic book resources or Bleeding Cool. It is not that I don't trust the website. I just kind of like looking at the book myself. So there's sometimes when I will go to a store and I'll see a first issue and I'll look at it and I'll flip through it and I'll be like, eh, I don't pick it up. But there have been times when I've gone into a store and not known anything about a book at all and became one of the biggest fans in the world. I'll give you an example. There's a book called The Victories by, uh, yep. by uh, the Brian uh, Oming. Yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Oming. Oming. Yeah, and that really shocked me because I didn't know anything about it and I opened it up and I was like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. And I am still buying the book. I mean, I, well, I think it, the first six issues already came out, but I really, really enjoyed that based on a blind pickup. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I guess to, be able to, to take it to another level, if, if it's a mainstream book with a character I really like, like say Spider-Man, I don't buy everything that has Spider-Man on it, but I will buy it if it looks like it's going to do something interesting with the character. A lot of people don't like what they did with this Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man, Mind Swipe thing. Uh But it's been really good. I mean, I can't say it sucked, 
you know, I've really enjoyed it. And that's something that I really look forward to if I'm going to read a mainstream book. I want to see something different done with the character. Sort of like what Grant Morrison did with All-Star Superman. Yes. You know, he took Superman and did something really neat and interesting with it. And I like that. You know, I like to see some kind of uh, evolution of a character. In fact, the last time I remember Spider-Man being evolved, and a lot of younger readers or listeners will not remember this, but back during the mid-'80s, after he got back from Secret Wars, Roger Stern and Ron Friends, who was the artist, did this whole arc when he got back to Earth from Secret Wars. But the thing about Ron Friends' artwork of Peter Parker is that he looked like he was in his 30s. He drew him age-appropriate. And that's something that has not happened with Peter Parker in probably two decades. <laughs> no. You know? And I look back at that, and this is like 25 years ago, or maybe more. I mean, my math's not great. But the last time I thought about, you know, the only time I can think of off the top of my head when they've evolved a mainstream superhero character was with, you know, a couple of, like, you know, Daredevil was evolved a little bit back when a guy named D.G. Chichester was writing it, when they mm. made him a ninja, and that was amazing. I mean, a lot of people were upset that they changed his costume, but I'm like, well, they're evolving the character finally. I, mean, I love that on. costume. Yeah, you remember the, the, the Daredevil, the blue and the red ninja costume? A lot of people don't even know that because they weren't reading it, but there was a point in the late 90s, I don't remember who, I don't remember the artist, but the writer was... Scott. Mike, Mc, I think it was Scott McDaniel. Okay. Okay, good. And it was a DG Chichester or something like that. And I remember that, you know, people were just upset. And I was like, the guy is fighting ninjas. He's fighting the hand, you know, who is... You know, All the time. <laughs> yeah. And in particular, it was a huge arc where he was fighting the hand and he got beat up pretty bad. So he put on this armor and I was like, well, it's about time. You know, it's like, how are you going to wear spandex and go into battle with guys with swords? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You know, so anyway... So uh, when I look at mainstream books, I'm looking at evolution of a character. Sometimes they do it, and sometimes they don't do it at all. I mean, John Byrne did it, and I'm not the biggest John Byrne fan anymore, but John Byrne did that with Superman in 1986 with the Man of Steel series. Mm -hmm. He actually evolved Superman, which is a mighty task. You know what I mean? So when I think about those type of things, when I go to the comic book store, I'm looking for evolution of mainstream characters for independent books i'm usually looking for other than great art i'm also looking for a, a concept that i haven't seen or heard before you know i want something different uh for example it was a brian k vaughn before he did uh saga had did ex machina which yep. the superhero was the mayor of new york city that was absolutely unprecedented and brilliant you know what I mean? Yep. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. I mean, the art was extraordinary through the entire run. And beyond that, the, the, the scripts were just mind-blowing. I mean, there are places he took that story. I didn't think he would go, and he did. You know, And it, it's just that kind of thing I want. I want something that's going to give me, as a grown man, you know, a little bit more than just you know, TNA. I don't want bad girl art. You know, I don't care... If the girl has, you know, her boobs hanging out, that's not going to attract me to a book. Right. What's going to attract me to a book is whether or not you're doing something interesting with the character. Like the Scott, you know, uh, the Scott Snyder, you know, uh, Greg Capullo Batman, they did some really cool stuff with him visually yes. and thematically. And that made a lot of people stand up and say, hey, you can do cool stuff with Batman. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like what Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams tried to do with uh, Green Arrow and Green Lantern back in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they took these characters, put them in a real-world scenario, and then evolved them. And if you can get that kind of aesthetic in the 21st century, you know, with mainstream and even independent books, I'm going to enjoy it. So that's what I'm usually looking for. Okay. Excellent. There's so, so much to, to dive into that, <laughs> but... You know, I I definitely I, that that's one of many many of those things that you just mentioned definitely attracts me to books. But me, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, creator uh, guy. I, I would say that uh, there are certain characters that I that I do love, but I I pretty much follow certain creators. Um, you know, around the industry, that's usually what gets 
my ears perked up. Somebody who's whose work that uh, I've enjoyed in the past and who is doing something new and new and cool. And um, you know, I, I am not a big. It, it's funny for years. I don't do much. I guess you would call it window shopping. I don't do much shopping at the comic shop. I mean, I mm. usually know exactly what books I'm going there to get before I even walk in the door. And, you know, I don't do much picking picking books up and flipping through them. And, I, you know, I just that's just something that I don't do uh, that much mm -hmm. anymore. However, now, you know, I've recently moved from Chicago to the San Diego area, and I have a comic shop. I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to call them out by name, but uh, I have a comic shop that's really close to my house. I mean, really close. I could walk to it. I could probably, I, I might be able to hit it, hit it with a rock if I needed to, but mm. I... <laughs> I'm going to start shopping at this store just because of the convenience of it. And I don't want to do mail order anymore, which is what I've been doing since I moved here, uh, like last October. But they, they're really on the, on the collect comics as collectibles thing. And so okay. all of the books on the shelves are bagged and it drives me nuts and it's funny that after spending so many years of not wanting to pick up a comic book on you know in the store that I hadn't intended to buy and flip through it and decide after so many years of doing that now I find that having that not even being an option really turns me off you know it, it really it, it really yeah, just, that does it really, it really drives me nuts now that I, I don't even have the option of doing that anymore. But uh, usually, you know, what, what drives me to certain books are creators. And there are just certain people that you can tell have a, you know, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a, a, a creative vision, you know, like, which is something you, you touched on. You want to see uh, creators doing something interesting with characters but I also want I, I I find that the older I get the more kind of I would guess fun or whimsy that I'm looking for in my comic books I, I feel that overall we've been as an industry we've been um, overly serious in comics you know the last mm. 10 maybe 15 years where we're striving for that kind of that that validation from you know from other mediums from the world outside to you know that whole kind of thing to show people that comics are not for kids anymore and i think that we've been doing that for so long that i think that the books have be, have gotten over serious and i think that they've gotten too unnecessarily violent i mean when you mention a book like uh, Luther Strode, where obviously the violence is hardwired into that book, and it's a big part of why that book works. So I'm not saying that I'm not a huge fan of violence, period. But you can't really you can't take the le the level of violence that you have in something like Luther Strode and decide that you want to put it in your standard mainstream superhero comic in order to make it, you know, feel edgy or or whatever it is people are doing. So mm -hmm. a lot of what I'm looking for is uh I want to feel like I want to feel like the guy whose name is in the writer's column, I want to feel like he's actually writing the books. And again, you know, without like naming too many names, but that's a really that's a really easy way to get me to drop a book. If I'm following a creator who I know has a track record for doing interesting things in the past and now he's on a different book and you can I mean you can tell when someone has has just been completely neutered either by the process yeah. or by the, you know the editorial, you know the editorial conditions and I you know I want, you know, I want these comics to be fun. You know, I, I want to have fun reading them. I mean, one of my favorite, my favorite comic books that's been launched in the last decade is a book called Casanova by a mm. writer, uh, Matt Fraction. It's drawn by two twins that alternate arcs, Gabriel Ba and, and uh, Fabio Moon. 
And I I adore Casanova. I love Casanova because it's it's a book that's it's a book that's fun. It's it's so much fun. You know, writer Matt Fraction is trying to do interesting things with comic storytelling. Uh, all of the issues they tell their stories in different ways. Um, it it it's one of those. It, it I want to read comic books that are uh, that are unashamed that they are comic books. And I and I read a lot of comic books that are you know that are trying to be movies, that are trying to be TV mm. shows. So the the comics that I gravitate toward tend to be the ones that have a have a little fun, have a little whimsy, and just have a a kind of a kind of breeziness to them. Uh, kind of um you know they're they're unapologetic in in what they are and that's that's another thing that really really drives me to certain comics over others i mean i'll give a a, a good a good example when i say this you know i don't i don't you know i don't want anybody to get upset but like i said before i prefer batman incorporated to the uh the main line batman title and Mind you, I love both books. I've been buying, you know, both books as as long as they've been coming out. But there's just something there's something about Grant Morrison's uh, interpretation of Batman that I just enjoy. I mean, I really get you really get the sense that that Bruce Wayne and enjoys being Batman, and mm -hmm. you know that that kind of thing has become more important to me I, I don't know if it's an age thing I, I don't know what it is but uh, there there's just um, there there's a it, it's just some it's a feeling that I get about certain books that I don't about others and I know it's because these are creators that are obviously having fun they're they're having a great time writing these comic books and and they are comic books i mean uh not to just <laughs> pat matt fraction on the back over and over again but matt fraction's hawkeye i think is i think it's amazing i think it's tremendous that a hawkeye book is one of the best written superhero comics from you know from any company and every issue is self-contained. They're all fun. They're funny. They're breezy. They're a little lighthearted. They're not overly serious. The art is amazing. They have a very strong, uh, strong kind of you know artistic vision for how mm -hmm. the characters are supposed to look. And and those are some of the things that just just really really get me excited you know about certain books and every once in a while it's just the the perfect storm you get a, a character that i love with a creator that i love and they they go and they do interesting things with the character and uh i, I think there's a lot to be i think there's a lot to be excited about um you know in in the the modern comics industry and to me, the books that I really like are the ones where you can tell that the creators have been unleashed on the book. And their mandate mm -hmm. is to go out and tell cool stories. And when you're out of cool stories, you know, it's to walk away from the book and let somebody else have a turn. And uh, those are just the, the kind of books that, that I enjoy. I need, I need a little, <laughs> as I get older, I need a little more, a little more fun, a little more whimsy in my uh in my superhero comics it's it's not as important to me that everything be so super serious and be so mm. realistic you know i have a you know i have a rule you know if you're reading a, a superhero comic you know th there should be something impossible that happens in that comic otherwise it, it's not really a superhero comic mm. you know if it just feels like i'm watching a hbo show it may be, you know, it may be a great story. There may be great characters, but you know, to me, it's just my opinion. It's not, it's not a great comic. You know, I think comics overall uh, needs a little more impossible. And uh, it was a series that you that you named that I want to talk about. All Star Superman. I mean that mm -hmm. that book had something impossible, something exciting happening, like every five pages. Yep, and it shows, and and like those are the type of those are the type of books that that I'm drawn to because I mean I I have TV, I have cable, I have a DVR, you know I can watch a movie 
or a, a TV show anytime I want to, you know, and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't look for the exact same things in my movies that I, that I do my comics and, and vice versa. Okay. Um, that's a, wow. I mean, that could be a podcast episode. <laughs> that, that comes, no, what's, no, because, no, you know, what's funny. No, I mean, I agree with you, but I don't on some levels Okay. because I do think that, because I mean, I do understand exactly what you're saying. And this is just a matter of opinion. I think that what needs to happen for comics as a medium and art form is to have a broader range of material offered at all times. Even with the vastness of the current comic book independent scene and with the vastness and far reach of mainstream comics, mm -hmm. we don't have a diversity of content. And I can tell you something that changed my life, and I really do mean this. Not, we, we talked previously in a previous episode about how uh, video games, like when I talk about changing my life, I mean just in one aspect, not the whole thing. But one thing that did change my life as a creator and as a human being was the realization that the Japanese comic book market appeals to everybody from 6 to 70. And the reason why is because there are comics that are produced in Japan, the mangas that are produced in Japan, that are meant or six-year-olds, and they have comics that a person in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s can read and still be, you know, uh, still enjoy it because it's not written for children. And I think that we still haven't gotten to that point in the American comic book marketplace. I mean, people still, for all intents and purposes, connect comic books to superheroes, almost mm -hmm. exclusively. And it drives me crazy because, for example, I have a friend, an associate in, in uh, Boston. I used to work for a Japanese animation uh, uh, like store, like a pop culture store in Boston, and I met a Japanese guy, and he took me to a Japanese bookstore, and he let me see uh, all the great mangas that were being produced that were brand new, and I saw mangas about nurses, I saw mangas <laughs> about businessmen, I saw mangas about baseball stars and soccer stars, I mean, he told me about one book, right? where you had a guy graduate from high school to be a soccer player. And the, the comic started with him graduating high school. And the book is ran for 10 or 15 years. But it's 10 or 15 years of real time, and it's following his career in you know, the, the global soccer or football uh, you know, scene uh -huh. as, as a player and all the drama and all the stuff that go I mean, hit like you know, the World Cup in co the comic coincides with the World Cup in the real world. You know, mm -hmm. so I was thinking to myself, why aren't we doing this in the United States? Like, why isn't there a comic book about lawyers or firemen or police? I mean, we get crime books that sort of concentrate on police. I mean, I think it was in David Lapham did it a little bit with Stray Bullets every now and then. Oh, Stray Bullets is great. Right. But there's no super realistic take on being a fireman in a comic book format. Like, why couldn't there be? a comic book about firemen that ran for 25 years. You know what I mean? So I kind of think that, yes, fantastical stuff in superhero comics is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I, but I also think there needs to be a, 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 a quickly developing comic book world of stuff like Strangers in Paradise. I mean, Strangers in Paradise should not be the only soap opera comic book that people can point to. It shouldn't be the only comic book I could show to a female, a grown woman, and not feel like she's going to be offended by it. You know what I mean? <laughs> or that like, she should be offended by it. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? But it, it's one of those things where I would like to see a broader audience adopt the comic book medium because comic books are a medium and not a genre. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that we still look at comics as a genre. You know what I mean? Like when I yeah. was in film school, I used to really get pissed off at my professors because they used to say, oh, this is such a comic book movie. Meanwhile, they weren't talking about comic book movies. They were talking about movies like Die Hard or, uh, you know, some Steven Seagal flick or like something about John, like Broken Arrow. Like they would call that a comic book movie. And, you know, you know, and I used to be like, well, what makes that a comic book movie? And they're like, oh, it's a slam bang action, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because comic books are a medium and not a genre. And they would like get this weird look on their face, like they had never understood that the comic book, the way that you tell comic, comic books are a way of telling stories, not a genre. And I would really like to get away from this kind of 
idea that all comics have to be superhero related. That's what drive, it drive, that concept drives me insane, and that's pretty much firmly entrenched in the mindset of Americans. Like, like one thing I, I, I want people to understand is that very few people actually buy comic books in the United States. Yes. I mean, it, it is such a minuscule population of people that actually go to comic book stores weekly or monthly to buy comics. But it's a testament to the power of those characters that allows it to be uh, a force in pop culture. Everybody assumes that because Avengers made a billion point two dollars that comic book stores are reaping in those profits, and they're not. And they won't until you, first of all, we have to have creators who are willing to take the chance of creating something that's hyper-realistic but is full of drama. Like, for example, like what if somebody did a comic book like Goodfellas? You know, like that would sell. It, but people need to know about it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. And one of the things I would like to see done, and if I ever get any kind of power or, or influence in the comic book business, you know, in the business side of the comic book industry, I would really like to introduce, like, newspaper print comics like they do in Japan. Like, mm. in Japan, they have these telephone book size uh, uh, digests that come out every week or every month that are filled with black and white comics that are on newspaper print, on newspaper uh, paper, you know, newspaper style paper. And it keeps costs low and it has great reusability because they actually are very durable. They last a good long time. And for some reason, I don't see us in the United States thinking in those terms. Like, I don't see, like, Marvel and DC could have done this 30 or 40 years ago where they could have introduced a kind of realistic Almost like, you know, like, you know, you see in the newspaper, what, what was those comics uh, like Sally Forth and Brenda Starr? And oh, okay. The, and okay. then you had this comic. And actually, there was a newspaper comic that was pretty brilliant that they, don't, they no longer make it. It was called For Better or For Worse. And it was in all the newspapers. And the person who created it, it, it first started as like this weird, like, Brady Bunch-esque kind of silly comic, like newspaper strip. But then it turned into a true family drama in, in comic book strip form where people grew up and got older. Uh, the kids grew, went on and had kids, you know, uh, had kids of their own. And you had bad things happen and there were consequences. And I would like to see that kind of thing in American comics where there are consequences. And that's basically you know, what I'm looking for a lot of times. When I think about, you know, all the books that are out, I just like to see, I would just personally like to see more American comics drift toward non-superhero material and then market that toward a larger non-comic book reading audience just to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely been, a, been an issue, definitely been a problem uh, for uh, probably decades in the comic book industry, our uh, our obsession with superhero comics, and even now, I mean, you can you can take just one of the books we talked about, Saga. Saga is a great example. You know, Saga is a great book, but it's also the product of Brian K. Vaughn as a writer building up his career writing superhero comics and writing Vertigo comics to a certain extent. But mm -hmm. the the fact that you know, Saga is, which is a tremendous seller for, for Image Comics right now. The fact that that only sells a fraction of books he wrote for Marvel years ago, like um, Ultimate X-Men or, I mean, almost anything, that tells you. I mean, you can have a writer, you can have, I mean, Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis is, is the biggest writer in comics, and mm. his power, his powers book which is cops and superheroes there are even superheroes in his creator own book and powers still sells a fraction of what avenger sells and i mean oh. you you could just it it's it's one of those things where our our marketplace is just we are obsessed with superhero comics and like you said no one has really gone out there and put a lot of money and effort 
behind trying to, you know, trying to wean the majority of the marketplace on to other books. I mean, there there are a lot of people, and, and this is, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, this is a joke, but a lot of people don't even flip to the back of previews. Now, for people that... Oh, don't, no, they don't. For, right. people, for people that don't know, um, every month there is a, a big uh, phone, well, I guess it's, it's a little phone book, like a big, tiny phone book-sized uh, book called Previews that is released, and in Previews, it, it basically, it's a catalog of everything, every single comic book that's going to come out through what we call the direct market in three or four months' time. And there is a joke, all of the, the, the major publishers are in the front of Previews, so your yep. Dark Horse your uh, IDW, Marvel, DC, and uh, I'm forgetting, an Image, of course. So those, those five companies are up front. And everything else is in what is called the back of previews. And there's been a joke in the industry that the majority, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a joke, but it's a joke that's not funny, in that the majority of comic book <laughs> buyers, even comic book retailers, never turn to the back of that book. In the back right. of that book, that's those are the the non for the you know a great preponderance of your non superhero comic books are in the back of previews every month, and comic readers and comic retailers sometimes have an allergy to the back of previews, and that's another reason why we have this this great number of, of superhero titles, and those seem to be the only ones that can sell in this industry with any type of consistency. I mean... Yeah. Well, you, you ever hear the other joke about that? The other side of that joke? <laughs> no, the other side of that joke... No, no. That, no, I'll tell you. The other side of that joke is that a lot of independent publishers all have companies by, with, with A in, the, in their name. So yes. They're, in the, and they're closer to the front. Because uh, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine about starting a comic book company. And we were all like, yeah, but it has to begin with the letter A. Because if you, if you, once you get past like Aardvark Comics, I think that's the first one. Uh-huh. You know, past, past DC and Dark Horse. Once you get past Aardvark, nobody looks at it. You right. Know? So it's like, right. yeah, the joke is, I mean, you know, it's kind of a comic book insider thing where you realize that the chances of non-mainstream books actually being looked at by people who order books you know, for their stores is really low, and that, that also hurts the industry as well. Yeah, definitely. So on, on that line, I know you, you talked about this briefly, but um, let's talk a, a little bit more in depth about our criteria for independent comics versus mainstream comics. Because, you know, as, as I said before, I, I do have a slightly different criteria for independent comics um, it used to be, <laughs> it's no longer the case anymore, but it used to be that most independent comics cost a little more than your mainstream superhero comics. It used to be indies were three fifty or three ninety nine, while most of the, your mainstream superhero comics were two ninety nine. Well, now <laughs> the majority of superhero comics are also three ninety nine. So that's a criteria that that doesn't really uh, doesn't really matter so much anymore. But as far as independent comics, um, a, a lot of the things are similar. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm looking for a great premise. I'm looking for a creative vision. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking for a, a work, obviously, that's a, a professionally, you know, a professionally done work. I mean, we're, I'm not expecting... I'm not expecting most independent comics to look like Marvel comics because I understand that Marvel comics look that way because Marvel comics can throw, you know, they have a $40,000 production budget yeah. to to you know to uh to to uh, to get the top creators in the industry working on these books that have been working on probably have been creating comics for several years so most indies are at a disadvantage but i'm just you know as far as indie titles you're looking for an an intriguing premise and like you said before it, it, the artwork doesn't have to be stupendous, but the artwork does have to be good and not hamper, you know, the 
it just it can't hamper the story that you're trying to read because a lot of us, you know, every, every person can name, you know, a, a stack of comics that had really good stories and you wish they had better artwork. Like, oh, these stories are really good, but man, if this artwork was a little better, these stories would be great. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not like I said. Yeah, good art can sometimes make a great script. I mean, a crappy script great, and then sometimes the other. It doesn't always work the other way around. You could have the best script in the world, but if the art is atrocious, then in, you know it's hard to really invest in that world. Yep. Yep. So I, I would say when when I'm and also when I'm buying indie books, I have a little more patience. Usually when I start buying a new book, I give them, I try to give a, a lot of books, two or three issues to kind of really hook me. You know, sometimes I'll pick up a comic and I'll be hooked with that first issue and I'll, you know, and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'll be buying this for the next two or three years if they keep putting it out. Now, other right. books, there may be something that I like about that first issue, but for me, I'm just not really feeling it. So I'll give... I'll give the the book a couple of more issues to kind of put its hooks in me. And with an independent title, let's say I'm more, I, I try to give indie titles four or five issues to hook me where mainstream comics that have been written and produced by people that have been doing this for 10 years, I tend to give them maybe two or three issues to really hook me. Right. So, uh, so I mean, like, what kind of what? <laughs> what's your what's your point? Like, how many issues of a comic do you give something? Wow. Before uh -oh. you're you're just like, oh, I don't know. It's not. <laughs> it's just. It's just not gonna happen. It's just not well, gonna happen for me in this book. Well, okay. For mainstream books like Marvel and DC stuff, I usually give it about three issues tops because usually I can tell based on editorial whether or not there's a heavy amount of editorial uh, interference or if they're not going to do anything spectacular with the characters. If they take the characters and do the same old things and it's just flat, then I know it's not, it doesn't usually ever get better after that. Mm. That's been my experience. Um, the only time in my life I've ever seen that happen was when John Byrne uh, started doing the Hulk after he had been banished to the alternate dimension during, uh, I think it was Hulk, number 300, okay. when um, Doctor Strange had banished the Hulk to an alternate dimension. And there were a bunch of fill-in issues, but I think around issue 314 or 315 of The Incredible Hulk, uh, he, comes, he comes back to Earth, and John Byrne did the first few stories. And they weren't great, but a little bit after that, it got really incredible. And that was the last time in my life I've actually known a comic book to start out, or a mainstream comic to start out extremely flat and then get really, really good. Mm -hmm. You know? So... Uh, with mainstream books, not I don't I don't give it. They don't have a lot of leeway because I don't have a lot of money at three ninety nine <laughs> a pop. I mean seriously, I mean at three ninety nine a pop, with all the editorial guidance and all this money poured into it, you think that every book should be astonishing at all times. Now everybody has their own taste, mm -hmm. but you can tell a good book from a bad book. Now with an indie book, um, it, like I said, it, it all goes back to what it is. I mean I picked up some indie books. The first issue has been astonishing, and then the second issue is the worst thing I ever read in my life, and then it just goes downhill from there. Mm -hmm. Because the trick is, a lot of people might not know this, but usually the first issue is the one you spend the most amount of time on. Yes. Because, you know what I mean? And then a lot of times... Oh, it is. Out, <laughs> you know, you, you get to a situation where you're just like, oh, okay, this is going to be easy. But a lot of folks, particularly indie creators, particularly new indie creators, don't always realize that the amount of work you put into issue one has to be the same amount of work you put into every single issue that comes afterwards, or else it's going to suck. So it's interesting. I think that if it's an unknown person who has a quality look book and it doesn't grab me immediately, I'll usually give it probably four to six issues if it even lasts that long. Mm -hmm. you Unfortunately, know, that's also a consideration. Right, and another issue is that a lot of times books you like get canceled out of the blue. And you're just like, for the love of God, can you at least give it a chance? But the realities of the marketplace just 
that nothing can be really given a chance. No. You know, and that's something that we have to figure out. Once again, I mean, you got to figure out, I don't know how we're going to get new people into a comic book store, but you, we got to get new people in the comic book store, and we have to find a way to get them to take a chance on people other than Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, or Spider-Man, or the Hulk, or the Avengers. And there's nothing wrong with those characters, but they've been around for like almost, you know, a couple of them have been around for almost a century, and the other ones have been around for 50-plus years. So, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you create a new, like a new franchise other than The Walking Dead, you know, which was also lightning in a bottle? Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, how do you get people to give things a chance? Uh, I mean, I didn't even buy The Walking Dead when it first came out because I thought to myself, a zombie book in the 21st century? You gotta be kidding me. You know, and <laughs> I was stupid because if I had bought the first issue and put it in one of those uh, plastic cases, I'd be a millionaire right now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I, I bought The Walking Dead from the beginning, but I give away my single issues now. So, you know, somebody out there has my Walking Dead number one. And oh. hopefully, hopefully they kept it. But, oh you know. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get. I give. I give away. I'm sorry. That's another thing too. Um, I have a habit of buying things twice, so I have to try to be very strategic about what it is I'm buying. Because I have a habit of buying. I'll buy single issues, and you know, I know this is like blasphemy to some people, but I don't want any single issue comics around me if I can help it. I want all of my comics to have spines and be on a shelf. And so I'll be reading a comic and, you know, if I like that comic, that means I'm going to buy the trade collection or the hardcover of that comic and give away the singles. If I don't have the hardcover or the trade, that means that I really didn't enjoy that comic. I mean, there are certain comics that I'll read in single issues, but I'll never buy the trades just because I, I you know, I want to keep up with the story and what's going on with the characters. But it's one of those books that I feel like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to want to read that over and over and over again. Um, right. And then there are there are things that I'll buy the single issues of and they'll put out a trade paperback and I'll buy that. And then two years down the line, they put out an oversized hardcover and now I'm tempted to buy that. So, uh, but that, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a personal problem that I'm trying to get a, trying to get a hold of, but that's another, uh, consideration that goes into what and how I buy, because there are certain things that I know that I can just wait for the trade for, you know, I know that, uh, the, the story is probably not going to be spoiled for me on Newsarama or comic book resources, so I can hold out on certain books and just read those exclusively in trades. But there are other books that I know I'll have to keep up with or I'll basically be reading them on Newsarama as they tell me everything that, that <laughs> right. has happened in them. And, right. uh, you know, it, it's, it's, definitely, it, it, it's definitely something, something else that I have to consider when, uh, when I'm following books. But yeah, you be throwing money away, man. I know. I know. I'm doing my best. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. And and again, this is something else that I know that a, a lot of people are kind of um they they really dismiss this out of hand when Marvel Comics started doing it, but I do I love the fact that all Marvel Comics that cost 3.99 also come with the with the free digital code because yeah, they should. They should do that. I believe I believe that every comic should come with a free digital code. But, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, I suppose. But I really enjoy the fact that a book that you mentioned, like All New X-Men, uh, that costs three ninety nine, it comes with a free digital code. So that allows me to get rid of that single issue, and it allows me to hold out and wait to buy that book in the format that I really want to. Now... You know, if I decide that I want to, you know, if I have the urge to read all new X-Men, I can just pop open the iPad and read it. And when they come out with the the series, the giant series omnibus that they'll come out with in two or three years, then I can buy that for the shelf. And I feel like I've saved myself a little money <laughs> or a little heartache. Or there are certain books where maybe I'm buying them 
and I have digital copies of them and then I don't feel like I need the trade or hardcover at all anymore because right, I just want right. to be able to, you know, I want to be able to read them, period. I don't need them in kind of like an oversized, specialized format. Like I do certain books, but... Um, right, right, right. Yeah, this is... I, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to you because this is just... It's now uh, turned into uh, how, how Brandon just wastes money, which should be an entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do... No, I'll, I'll well, do, you know, <laughs> I'll do a dedicated episode about that later on. Like these are these, these are the books that I buy three and four times. Like that 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 Casanova, and this is what I've done intentionally. I have bought Casanova in every single format that it's ever been released in. I bought Casanova as sixteen page singles when they came out through Image, and they were you know two color, two or three color. Uh, I bought the hardcover of Casanova that Image put out. And then when Matt Fraction went to Marvel, they re-released Casanova in colored editions that bundled two issues together and put them in a like a bigger bumper edition. So I have those in color. And then I bought the new trades in color. And I bought digital copies of all of the issues. Really? Wow. So that's one series. There are certain series that I'm just like, I I will buy this in every format that it's released in because, you know, because I feel that strongly about it. Hey, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you want to support people, this is the way you support people. I mean, we talked about that in our first episode about how, you know, the way to keep people that you like around is to support them. And once again, that goes back to market visibility. And, you know, that's you know, and we've we've discussed this you know ad nauseum so far. But you know, we're we're the type of people who do a little bit of research on things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even though I don't always go deep online with stuff, once I find someone I like, and I go and try to find out as much about these creators as possible, so I can support them. And if they had something else that came along beforehand, I try to go pick that up as well. And that's a good way of keeping these people, uh, you know financially viable, you know, is keeping them around so they can continue doing good stuff. And I would only hope that, you know, people do that stuff for me. Yes. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, it's, but it's really important. I mean, it's good to have standards and it's good to have a set of criteria for determining what's worth your money because you don't want to throw your money away and you don't want to reward a company for putting out garbage. And right. I think at times... This is what happens, and I said this in the first episode that, you know, the comic book industry, just like WWE, is extremely fortunate to have a population of people who will support it in the hopes that it gets better. Like, I used to buy X-Men almost, like, religiously, no matter how awful X-Men was, and there was a point when X-Men was awful. You know, I kept buying it, and then one day I just said to myself, why am I buying this? This is taking up space. And I'll never get this money back. You know, so I packed them all up and I donated them to a library. Because I figured maybe there's some kid out there that doesn't have my same set of standards who will open an X-Men comic and be like, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and one thing I do have to say, and I'm guessing most of the people who are going to listen to this are going to probably be between the ages of 20 and like 55. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just guessing what our demographics might be based on who responds to us online and who's going to check this out. And who but, reads you know, comics. <laughs> right. And actually, that's a damn good point. Who's actually reading <laughs> comics today? And when, and when you think about that, you know, I just want there to be a greater level of diversity of content. And I won't buy something just because it's weird, but I will give something a chance that doesn't look like anything else that's on the market. Yeah. Like, what was that book that came out? Uh, was it uh, The World's Smartest Kid, Jimmy Corrigan? Yes. Yeah. Came out of, like, you know, that was something that didn't look like anything I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I picked it up because of that. There's a new uh, graphic novel out called Anomaly that's like the size of like a coffee table. I mean, the thing is, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, it's a comic called Anomaly. And it has like a 3D component, like you can get online and, you know, punch a code in and put your cell phone or um, uh, iPad over the book and it'll become a 3D comic. And it's really, really, really interesting. And I kind of felt like it's by uh, uh, Brian Haberlin and Skip Brittenham. And what okay. it is, 
it's, uh, it's about like $75. I mean, the thing is literally the size of a coffee table. It is a huge <laughs> book. And, but the thing is, it's done with new technology, and it's all a rage in Hollywood right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're going to have a deal for it. But when you see it, it doesn't look like anything else on the market in the sense that it's one giant, complete story at one time. They did not release it in, in sloppies. They released the entire book all at one time in one giant hardcover. Mm. And I like that. And, and I would really hope that we get to that point. I mean, I think it's like 370 pages or 400 pages or something like that. You know, and, it, and it's what? It's 15 by 15, if you can imagine it. That's crazy. I mean, I have, yeah, the, I'll, I have the, the... I'll send you the link. I'll send you the link right now. I have so the, D, the DC Absolutes, and I, I do have one of those IDW Artist Editions, and those things are massive, but 15 by 15 is even bigger than that. I just sent you the link. Where do you see this thing? But, uh, <laughs> but you know, and like I found Anomaly. I was walking around Barnes & Noble here in, in, um, in Los Angeles, and I'm just walking around minding my business. And, you know, I used to work at Barnes & Noble here when I first moved to L.A. And Me too. Talk, you know, you know talk, <laughs> talking to a couple of my buddies. And they were just like, hey, you, did you check out this book? That, you know, blah, 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 Anomaly. And I'm like, well, what is that? And I go upstairs to the comic book section, and they have to have it on a table separate because it is that big, you know. And I picked it up, and I, and I was blown away by it because it represented, one, visually something that I've never seen in a comic book ever. Um, and the second part of it is the fact that it's completely 100% independent. Like, it is totally an independent book. You know, and it's a space opera. And not only is it a space opera, but it's filled with visuals unlike anything you've seen before. I mean, we're talking about Travis Charest or Charest type images. You know what I mean? Like a Travis Charest, you know, humanoids press kind of visual aesthetic. You know what I mean? It's like really incredible stuff. And, you know, if you have, if, if, if anybody out there is listening and is a, an aspiring creator, try your best to come up with something we haven't seen. Like, put something on the cover. Have a costume. Have a concept that's just different. You know, you, if you want superheroes, do your superheroes, but don't make them look like Superman or Wonder Woman or Aquaman. Like, do something different. You know, and because there are people out there who are tired of the same old, same old and might see your stuff. And, and think, wow, this is not like anything else. Let me pick this up. You know? And th I think that's important. And I really believe that the future is going to be in independent, creative, new, mind-bending concepts. I hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I we, we just so, got to keep on... I mean, you know what it is? We, I, I really believe we've just got to keep on creating. Yeah. And the more we create, somebody eventually is going to catch on. The sad thing is that everyone else is going to be ignored, but that one person could open the floodgates. Yeah. And I'm thinking that might be the case. Definitely. Def I mean, yeah, it, it's all, it's, it, <laughs> that's what I tell myself. I mean, it, it, it has to be somebody, so why, why not you? <laughs> well, <hey. laughs> Why not? Well, all right, everybody. I think that's. Uh, I think. Do I'm. I'm sorry to cut you off. Do we need? Uh, did you have anything else? No, you didn't cut me off. I was okay. done. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. 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 Well, um, you know. Uh, hopefully, we gave you guys a, a a lot to think think about and talk about and discuss. And um, thank you again for for joining us. We're uh, we've done a few of these already, and we're getting uh, getting more more comfortable by the minute. So uh, it should be should be a lot of these in in, in your future. So we, we hope that uh, that you you keep listening and keep enjoying. And uh, this has been another installment of the two Brandons with uh, writer Brandon Thomas and Brandon Easton. And we will see yeah. you next time. Take care, everybody. All right, thanks.